God wants relationships with us. God's desire is relationship. Everything about him wants to love and be loved, to interact. And it's kind of silly when I think about some of our traditions of how we think about faith. When I grew up, it was all about when I die, if I believe in Jesus, I'll go to heaven and I'll be saved. And in and my little eight-year-old mind, it meant rules. Don't sin. Don't do this. The Ten Commandments. Or my father always loved saying, children, obey your parents, right? That's like his go-to. And then I would say, parents don't make your children angry. And then he'd be like, David. Um, <laughs> but for me then, it meant following the rules. And if I just believe in Jesus, I'll go to heaven. And behind that, or the limitation of that, I feel now in retrospect, is that that's transactional, right? It's about, I don't even need to look God in the face or have a relationship with God in that system, right? I can just do all the right things, say I believe in Jesus, and I'll go to heaven. Right? There's no relationship. It's like putting a ring on my wife's finger, on Valentine's, giving her a Valentine's card. Right? And then roses on our anniversary date saying, I have reservations at the dinner, but not being there. Right? Not being there at dinner. Right? Handing her the card and running away. <laughs> not being present on an everyday basis to wash the dishes, to make our bed, to do our chores, to raise the children together. It's like doing all the things to give her the symbols of love and relationship, but not being present relational. That just doesn't work, right? Intimacy doesn't work that way. And I believe faith is so much more than following the rules and transactions. Faith is about being saying yes to God's initiations, his initiative to reach out to us in love, to say, I want intimacy, I want relationship with you. And God wants relationship, and we see that from the way, 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 way in the beginning of scripture, the beginning of the story, the beginning of it all, that there's relationship in creation, right? Even in creation, when God says first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, and he rests on the seventh day, it's all about boundaries and relationships. The night and the day have a relationship. The sun and the moon and the stars have a relationship. And this relationship is based on boundaries and distinctions. Humans and animals have a relationship. Uh, land and water have a relationship. God is about relationship. And inherent in creation story is the Trinity. Let us make humanity in our image. God in of himself is relationship, right? Is trinity. And so in creation, God is establishing or initiating his desire in the world, in the universe, in the cosmos for relationship, for intimacy. The problem is that if you read more into the creation story, 
uh, sin and disobedience breaks in. And again here, if you read the story, it isn't, sin isn't the breaking of rules. In one sense, you can say, oh, God said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge, right? Or else you will surely die. And, and Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Simple. God made a rule. They broke it. But it's so much more than that. As you look into the pages of the story, it's about relationship. Right? God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. There's no shame. There's openness. There's an intimacy, a direct intimacy between humanity and God. God himself in giving humanity life, right? Breathe his breath of life into the clay, right? And even, even people are so intimately connected in the imagery to creation itself, the earth, the dust, right? We came out of the dust and the earth and God, like a, like a potter, shaped us from the mud and breathed life. There's so much intimacy. When Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, God's walking in the garden. What does he say? Where are you? Where are you? And they're hiding. Same thing with Cain. Cain, where are you? And there's this, this connection between God and people and this connection between people and the earth and the ground and all of creation. When Cain kills Abel, his blood cries out from the soil. When God passes down uh, his judgment on Adam and Eve, right, the ground is cursed. There's enmity, there's enmity placed between the serpent and Eve and the mother. Something is amiss. Something has gone wrong. There's a wedge that has been placed in between what's supposed to be this insignificance. It's this harmony, this relationship. And so sin is so much more than breaking a rule. It's the consequence of breaking relationships. Are you with me? It's not seeing each other face to face. It's not looking, being able to look at God. I'm so ashamed, I have to cover myself. When he answers, I'm hiding. That relationship, the freeness of relationship has been broken. And so when we look uh, at the creation story in Genesis and then as human beings kind of develop and multiply, kind of fill the earth, uh, that sin begins to grow exponentially. People wrong each other. People begin to uh, do violent things to one another. People begin to be like, I am an only child in this land, right, in, in creation. So what I mean by only child is we, be, we began to believe that we were the paragon of creation, that we were the only cre creation of God, and that everything was meant for us to dominate, right, and to consume. And so when God says, be, have dominion over creation, we began to take the, the word dominion, or um, as we look back, we take the word dominion and say, oh, dominate creation. I'm the first creation is here for me to use, to consume. 
rather than creation is actually my little brothers and sisters, right? The earth and all that is in it and all the creatures are actually the creatures of my father, of the same father. And so we are all connected. That's, that's the theology of creation, right? Of scripture as we read it, is we're all connected with God's creation because we're all creation. Does that make sense? We're all creation and we are all supposed to be relationally connected to the earth, to animals, to the sky, right? And to God and to one another. And so sin coming into the world is less about God being a strict person, making all these rules and we need to perfectly follow them. And more that God created this world and all in it. And he said, now that is very good. Amen? Amen. And we took that which was very good and it just got all jumbled up because we turned into ourselves. And that's the story. And that's where the salvation story begins. So what is a covenant? Covenant is a relationship built on a binding promise. In the Bible, it's a relationship built around a promise between God and his people. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of commentators say that uh, this notion of covenant in scripture is parallel to what is happening in the ancient Near East at the time of the writings of Caesarean treaties. These treaties were between a ruler or a king and a vassal, a suzerain and a vassal. A a ruler would make promises to protect and provide uh, for his vassals, for his people, at the risk of being cursed, right, if he didn't follow through. And um, this was a binding legal treaty, a legal contract. These treaties or contracts were sealed by the sacrifice of animals, right? And, and the, the leader, the suzerain leader, would walk through the sacrificed animals. And we see this with Moses, the, co- the covenant with Moses, right? Is it with Moses, right? God walks through the sacrificed animal. And so there's a connection um, there's a similarity of parallelism in the culture. But I think what's happening is that God is saying, yes, here is a treaty. Here's an example of a human kind of commitment and a bond. But what you think, what, what the world says is a commitment and a treaty and a bond, I'm going to show you how the God of the universe does this. And so in our passage in Genesis 9, 8 through 17, we see that God is the initiator of the covenant. Seven times, all of the language, and you can go to the scripture, all of the language in this passage is about God, active verbs that God is doing, right? Verse nine, I now establish my covenant with you. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Verse 12, I am making between me and you and every living creature a covenant. 13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds. 15, I will remember my covenant. 16, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and living creatures. And then finally, in verse 17, I have established between me and all life on the earth uh, this covenant. So in God's deal, 
in God's covenant making, God is the initiator. He actually takes on all of the responsibility and all of the obligation of the agreement, right? He is the initiator. I am doing this. I am giving you. I am establishing. I, I, I. Seven times in this passage. Who are the receivers? We are people, humanity, creation, all of life, all of the earth are receiving, receiving, receiving. And so, in God's covenant making, he is the magnanimous giver. We are the beneficiaries. He's the benefactor. And everything is on him in this covenant. All responsibility. And we are those that are blessed by this covenant. And covenants in scripture are also, uh, in this way, God's covenants are promises. They're, they're, less, they're less like legal contracts, but they're promises. He's promising to his people that he will be faithful, that he will deliver, that he will save, that he will provide, that he'll protect, that he'll never do this or that again, um, that he'll restore people. And this is part of the salvation story in scripture beginning to build itself up beginning to add on layers um, of the great story of God's love for us. Next, uh, the next slide. This is just something cool I wanted to put up there that looks smart. Actually, it's, it's uh, from Craig Keener, this little chart, and it shows the three kind of narratives or three covenants um, in the Pentateuch, uh, the Adam narrative, the Noah narrative, and the Abraham um, narrative and the similarities of kind of God's building his relationship with his people. And, I, and I, I wanted to add that covenant for God is his way of reconciling. It's like we have ways that we make up with people. God does covenants to make up with his people. Like, you guys messed up, but let me find in my creativity a way to restore relationship because that's who I am. So what is unique about Noah's covenant? What's unique about Noah's covenant is it's made with Noah and his sons, but it's also made with what? All of creation. So I went through this passage and uh, just made highlighted in green uh, the ways that God uh, makes the covenant with creation. Right? It's, we aren't only children. It's not just about people. Isn't that weird? Like, God doesn't just make his covenant with Noah and his sons, right? God makes his covenant with all of creation. You don't believe me? Verse 10. And with every little creature, living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth. In fact, more words are given towards his covenant with creation than with, than with Noah and his sons in this first part, right? I'm going to make a covenant with you and your sons, but also with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature. This is important to God, right? Again, verse 12, I am making between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all generations to come. Again, in verse 13, I have set my rainbow in the clouds, 
It'll be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will I will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. 17. I have established, uh, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. So the thing to know about God is two things. That God is a creator and God is a covenant maker. And those things are tied together. So God, the creator, created the earth and all that's in it. All the living creatures, the birds, every single little insect you can think of. Right? And God, the covenant maker, made these relationships, these, these, these awesome, merciful, gracious promises to his people whenever our, we mess things up. Right? He's like, I need, because when we mess things up relationally, creation is, becomes messed up. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. We're connected. We're connected. We're responsible. It's not about dominion. It's about stewardship. Right? Do not dominate the earth, but take care of the earth. Name each and every living creature. Right? Because you came from the earth. And all of it came out of me. And if you diss the earth, you diss me. Right? If you diss each other, you diss me. If you diss... Are you with me? We're connected. We can't trash the world and say, God, I love you. And yet when you look in history, actually... Christians or Christianity and I think bad theology is a lot of the reasons why the earth has been desecrated right? and bad things are happening in the earth. And everywhere where there's pollution and cre creation is being damaged, there's also the poor are being exploited right? and there's injustices being done to the marginalized. It's all connected relationally. And it all comes down to the heart and how we view the other, and how we view God, and how we view the world around us. It's not just keeping the rules in our own private space. Right? It's about the renewal and restoration of all things and participating in what God is doing in the world. Are you with me, church? Yes. Amen. What is this new thing? It's not new. It's very, very old, actually. We just need a correction every once in a while. Uh, I'm not going to get into this. How do we handle God's destruction of the world? Maybe I'll get into it because it may be a stopping point. Like, well, God's the creator, but didn't he just destroy the world? That, that makes the, this passage a little problematic, right? It's like, Ugh! um. How do we handle it? We must approach the text for its narrative theology. Right? There's an exponential increase in violence and corruption of humanity in the Genesis passages. Human, humanity creates a separation with God and with one another and with creation. 
even as sin increases, God's mercy and grace increases. Right? So if you look at Genesis 1 through 11, uh, God said, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, you will surely die. Do Adam and Eve die? No. So already God is enacting his grace and mercy. He's going back on his, what he just said. Right? He doesn't kill Adam and Eve. He even clothes them, right? He's like, you're supposed to be naked, and you're covering yourself with leaves. Here, let me make some stuff out of leather, and you put it on. Like, I'll go with that, right? It's like a kid. Oh, you're on Facebook and whatever. You're on Xbox too much. Oh, let me just play with you. Right? I'll get you a PlayStation 4. That's what God did. <laughs> um, he doesn't kill Cain. God doesn't kill Cain, right? And he actually puts a mark on Cain to protect him so that people won't kill him, right? There's a mercy. Every time that sin uh, expands exponentially, God's mercy and grace comes through more and more and more. Uh, but then we see by chapter 6 in Genesis that God, the world that God had created and set into motion was actually consuming itself. And destroying itself right um, so what Craig Keener says is humanity's practice of evil spread so that all they ever thought about was evil Genesis 6 5 humanity became so corrupt with the spread of malignant evil so impossible to turn back that God regretted having made his people chapter 6 6 uh, the Hebrew text says that he grieved or felt pain God felt pain in his heart God had made people to be like his children but now things had turned out so badly that God was anguished and bitterly disappointed his children had grown up to be murderers but apparently far beyond the level of Cain end quote and then we see in chapter 6 verse 11 now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with the violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. God put an end to the earth because the earth was destroying itself already. The earth had become, the people in it had become so violent to one another. We were consuming one another. We were in it. It says there was only evil in people's thoughts. And it broke God's heart. He lamented the things that were going on and he regretted it. And in many ways, he let it like it. God was so merciful and gracious throughout that people had taken advantage of it, advantage of it, advantage of it, until humanity had turned into itself and was just cannibalizing, right? And so God chose Noah, and, and then we see the story of, of 
another, a, sec, a third creation story, right? Almost parallel to creation story. You have the waters, right? And the spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters and then bringing, separating the waters from the land, right? And making, right? Blessing the people. And again, making this covenant now with the people and all of creation. And God adds to it. He's like, you know what? I, I'm going to do this differently. I promise I'm not going to destroy all of you and all of the earth. And to, to show you that I'm real on this promise, here's a rainbow to remind you of this covenant, of this promise. This promise in the rainbow. And a lot of people look at the rainbow and the symbol of it, the word, could mean a bow, like a warrior's bow. Right? That God actually hung up his bow. Right? I hang up uh, using, the kind of destroying the earth. Right? The violence to destroy the whole earth. Um, I just think it's a rainbow <laughs> on, my, on my part. Right? A rainbow. Uh, because I like the image of right? God saying there will be suffering. Whenever I bring clouds, whenever there are clouds in the sky and it's raining, or you have tsunamis and earthquakes and floods, there will be a rainbow that say, you're not all gonna be destroyed. There will still be hope and I'm still present and my promise is still here and I will still save you. I will still deliver you. I, I can still salvage any situation, right? And this is an awesome promise because no matter where life is taking you or wherever you're coming from, amen? Whatever experience you have, whatever sin you've gone through or kind of broken relationships and you find like you can't turn back and there's no way to salvage this thing, God's saying, even in the clouds, there's a rainbow, right? I can save you. There's hope. Even in the midst of this all. And so what is our takeaway for Lent? Do I have another slide? Probably not. Yes, I did. I did it. So what is our takeaways for Lent? One, stop abusing the earth and abusing each other. Right? That's the Noah covenant. God cares about the earth and about people. And so we should care about that too. Stop abusing the earth and stop abusing one another. Once again, Craig Keener writes, the world does not belong to us. Even our very lives are a gift from God. When we abuse the gift of life to harm others or the world that God has made, instead of investing and serving others, we squander his gift and break his heart. We forget that we are mortal and we must return the gift of life God has given us and answer for how we have used it. Secondly, practice lament, right? The world is about clouds and rain and rainbows. And if you look on the wall over there uh, for Ash Wednesday, we had this great idea of writing our laments, the things that we are weeping and break, our hearts break about onto the butcher paper over there. And anytime that you're in this, maybe after service or even now, you can get up, there's some chalk in the back and write down the things that you are lamenting about your neighbors, the world, what's going on. 
Um, and this way, we become less attuned to our only child syndrome of it's all about me to um, compassionate hearts, having com hearts of compassion and having those hearts stretched. And that's a theme in Lent. The three, three things we focus in on a church, as a church during Lent is prayer, right? Generosity and giving and fasting. And these are all to make space uh, for God and to make space for other people and for our hearts to be stretched. <clears throat> and then thirdly, uh, the promise is in the rainbow. And I think that's an amazing image because it, it's a rainbow is white light. It's monochromatic going through a prism and you're seeing many colors. And that's the beauty of God's creation and world is stop looking inward. Stop turning into yourself. And when you look out at my promises, you see how diverse people are, my people are. You see how diverse my creation is. Right? And so welcome the other. Build relationships with those who are different than you. Include those who are usually not included. Open your hearts, your homes, right? hospitality, your churches. Because God is a God of diversity. He's the great creator. And in covenant, we, we, get, we again open our eyes to God as creator. And God placed us in something so much bigger than us. Let's pray. Uh, thank you so much for your promises. Thank you for um, that you are the great creator. And that even though we forget this or even though we mess up and we track our muddy shoes through the living room, um, you are always desirous to reconnect with us. And if there are people in this place that feel far from God, far from you at this point, distant because of um, hard times because of uh, mistakes. You are close. Will you remind them that you are close? That you're stretching out your hand to us. Help us to take your hand and be restored and renewed. Help us to participate in you uh, making all things new in the world around us. Um, rebuilding relationships. Restoring communities. Uh, bringing re reconciliation and justice uh, in places that are torn apart. We give you praise and thanks. In your name, amen.